it's something that will never leave me. It, it, it will always be something that makes me emotional um, because she was so willing to share that with me and then allow me to share that with other readers so that they wouldn't go through, so that their family, so that no family would ever deal with that again. Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. This episode is presented in partnership with today's guest, Kathleen Birkenshaw. She's here to talk about her novel for kids and teens, The Last Cherry Blossom. It's a devastatingly beautiful story that reminds us that the people we think don't belong, the people who seem different from ourselves, or the ones we deem the enemy, are not so different from us after all. Kathleen Birkenshaw is a Japanese-American author and the daughter of a Hiroshima survivor. She lives in Charlotte, North Carolina with her husband and daughter. Her mother was 12 years old when the bomb was dropped on August 6, 1945. And there's nothing easy talking about the devastating effects of nuclear weapons but Kathleen does it with grace and vulnerability, and you're not going to want to miss this discussion. So before I share it, here's the synopsis for The Last Cherry Blossom. Yuriko was happy growing up in Hiroshima when it was just her and Papa. But her aunt Kimiko and her cousin Genji are living with them now. And the family is only getting bigger with talk of a double marriage. And while things are changing at home, the world beyond their doors is even more unpredictable. World War II is coming to an end. And since the Japanese newspapers don't report lost battles, the Japanese people are not entirely certain of where Japan stands. Yuriko is used to the sirens and the air raid drills. But things start to feel more real when the neighbors who have left to fight stop coming home. When the bombs hit Hiroshima, it's through Yuriko's 12-year-old eyes that we witness the devastation and horror. This is a story that offers young readers insight into how children lived during the war while also introducing them to Japanese culture. Based on author Kathleen Birkenshaw's mother's first-hand experience surviving the atomic bombing of Hiroshima, The Last Cherry Blossom hopes to warn readers of the immense damage nuclear war can bring, while reminding them that the enemy in any war is often not so different from ourselves. Hi, Kathleen. Welcome to the Growing Readers Podcast. Hello, Bianca. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh my gosh. It is such an honor to talk to you today about your book, The Last Cherry Blossom. I know this story is really special to you because it's based on your mother's firsthand experience surviving the atomic bombing of Hiroshima during World War II. And it's honestly the true definition of the word poignant. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, wh- while reading it, I had quite a few emotional moments and I thought I pretty much have any time I hear of the devastating effects of the atomic bomb or any any war is how can events such as this that was inflicted by humans even be true? And mm-hmm. another is why after such tragic circumstances recorded in history, are we still experiencing war? And to me, The Last Cherry Blossom works incredibly well as a warning to readers of the catastrophic impact war and nuclear weapons have on humanity. And it reminded me why it's so important that stories like your mom's are written down and shared. So I think the first question that I want to ask is, for you, what was the driving force within you to make sure that we all got to share in your mom's story and that it's in a children's book? That is a really great question. And I'll start with, it actually began with my own daughter when she was in seventh grade. Um, she had come home from school very upset. They just finished the last section of World War II. And she said she overheard some kids talking about that cool mushroom cloud picture. And she wanted me to talk about who was under the cloud, like her grandmother that day to her class so they'd understand more. Uh, and that is really what first got me to even speak about it publicly because my mom always told me growing up that she was from Tokyo. She didn't even say Hiroshima. I didn't know until I was 11 that she was actually from there. She had horrible nightmares all the time, but in August, it was worse. And I remember that the summer before it was just as bad. And I finally kept asking her why. And then she finally just told me that she was actually born in Hiroshima, but she lost her family and her home and her friends to the atomic bombing. Um, She wouldn't say anything else. And it was still too painful is, is what she had told me. And then she said, don't tell anyone. So I really didn't know very much until I was actually in my early 30s. I was very ill and I nearly uh, died from a blood clot and I was in the hospital for over a month. So once I got home, I needed help taking care of myself and my daughter was four at the time while my husband worked during the day. So my parents had come and that is also when I received the diagnosis of reflex sympathetic dystrophy. And that's a chronic neurological pain disease that it affects your sympathetic nervous system as well as your immune system and it progresses. And the physicians have stated that my immune system deficiencies are related to the radiation that my mom was exposed to during the atomic bombing. And I don't know if she would have ever really told me very much about it, except for the fact that when I got that diagnosis, I had to leave another career that I had worked hard for. I didn't know what was going to end up happening to me with needing help with walking and taking care of myself. And so I became just very depressed. So my mom slowly started to talk to me about August 6th and the days afterwards. And then she said to me, I'm telling you this now because I wanted to end my life when I lost everyone, but I'm so glad I didn't because I had you and I now have your daughter to love and you have the same strength 
flowing through your veins as I did. And so you'll find your own new way. And that was really the first time I knew more of what happened to her that day. So when we were, when she, my daughter was in seventh grade and I had to ask her, I didn't really think she'd let me do it. She was very private about it. And she surprised me so much by saying yes. And the reasons why is that the students in my daughter's class would have been about the same age that my mom was. She was 12 and a half when the bomb was dropped and might relate to her better in her everyday stuff that she went through. And the major piece was that they are all going to be voters someday. So they'd walk out of that classroom knowing that nuclear weapons shouldn't be used again. And so from that start with my daughter, I started speaking to her class and then to other schools. And then that's when some teachers had asked about a book because they really didn't have anything on the Pacific side as far as what was happening there, other than the book by John Hersey about Hiroshima then. So I remember calling up my mom and telling her, you know, I, I've written all a lot of stuff down for my daughter's purposes, but I mentioned the book and my mom was shocked because her words were, why would anyone care about a little girl in Hiroshima? And I think that is what also prompted me to want to continue to tell her story. And by making it at the age that she was, I felt too that students in these middle grades and, and in high school, they have that empathy that starts to be planted in their hearts. And I felt that if I could get this story out and it would not just talk about getting rid of the nuclear weapons, but also seeing the humanity that was under the clouds that day, because I think we need to connect with that because that's why so many things get forgotten because these stories are not told. I think that's the part that really gets to me about any kind of war is that there's always the civilians, you know, the, the 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 lives that are impacted that really don't want the war or don't necessarily mm -hmm. want anything to do with the war or they're just living their lives. And, and so many people get impacted. And I feel like the story shows that. Oh, is, thank you. It, this might be a hard question. Is your mom still with us? Unfortunately, no. Um, she passed away in January of 2015, but I was very blessed. She was 82 years old. She had not been ill until the last few months, and she knew the book was going to be published. I received a contract in November of 2014, and I brought it to her. And that's when she said to me that she was still surprised, but she said, you know, I never knew why I was still alive when I'd lost everyone. But now I know I couldn't tell my story. So you can do it for me. And so she got to know that it was coming out. She got to read a couple of the drafts. Um, and then she passed away two months after that. So I'm just very glad that she knew that, it, that people would care about yeah. that little girl. <laughs> yeah. And we do care. Oh my gosh. I'm so <laughs> grateful that she got to read the story that you wrote for her and for all of us. I mean, wow. Uh, how How is your RSD today? Um, it is progressing. I've had a lot of issues with my hands lately as well. And the pain is in my legs. And so I've had spinal surgery a few times 
um, to put in a spinal cord stimulator kind of blocked some of the pain. And last February, around this time, I had to have surgery to replace all the leads in my spine and, and that. And there was an issue. And so I wasn't able to walk for a couple of months at all. And I had to learn to walk again by using a walker these past year. So it's been a tough time for this. Um, I knew it would progress as I got a little bit older, but having the surgery and then having a some kind of an issue with the device itself that caused um, that temporary, the, the extra pain in the, in the le right leg where I didn't have it before really does impact um, what I can and cannot do, unfortunately. So what do you do on the hot, on the really hard days to sort of help ease your pain and, and get through? Uh, what I try to do is sometimes I will watch some kind of comedies. Other times I will write in like a journal. And uh, even if my hands are hurting a little bit, I try to do something like that, especially on the bad days to get what I'm feeling out. And sometimes it can lead me then into maybe thinking about a scene for another book or, or what I'm doing. So I try to occupy myself with that. And if I can, even on a bad day, if I'm able to use my recording piece uh, on my phone, I can record some words that maybe I could use towards uh, another story. I have some wonderful friends who I can speak to during that time. My husband has been my rock through all of my sickness. We've been married for 32 years this year. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and and he, if, if I didn't have him I would have never made it through this past recovery from the surgery. And he also helps me when I do school visits in person. You know, he, he's the one that brings me, he sets me up. He sort of, I kid around. I say, he's my roadie <laughs> for, <laughs> for all of that. So he has helped a great deal. And also if I'm having a bad day and it's not like a flare up, I love speaking with students because it just brings me joy to see in them when they're asking certain questions and the compassion um, that they have. And it, it just touches me and it makes me feel like, okay, this is why I want to keep pushing, you know? And, and of course, my daughter has a way of doing that for me too. She's out of the house now. She's older. But I think that if I didn't have all of those pieces, it would be very, very dark for me without that. Yeah. How did you go about writing The Last Cherry Blossom? So what was your writing process in terms of taking what your mom told you mm -hmm. and then creating a story out of it? Sure. Well, first I had taken down what she had said, but then I really wanted to research more about daily life in Japan. As you may recall, there's a picture in the back of the book, and it's of my mom and her papa when she was probably about three years old there. And that was always in a special place in our home. And she had sent me a copy of that picture after I had that conversation with her about writing the book. And so when I looked at that, I was really determined, I'm going to start the book about a year before the bomb is dropped. I wanted to show that she did have happy memories. I wanted to show the differences um, in what their culture was, as well as what was being told to them. What was the political mindset at that time? Because I think that's it's very hard to get that kind of a emotional or, 
or even some kind of an impact when you have just a few paragraphs that says that it ended the war and then you have that famous picture. I wanted to kind of show them how long they had been at war um, by that time and that there weren't many soldiers left in Hiroshima, even though it was once a very big uh, military port, to kind of get that feel. And also by doing this, I wanted them as the reader to see that, you know, the, the children in Japan, my mom, they loved their families. They worried about what might happen to them. They all wished for peace. And, you know, it was the same things that the Allied children were wishing and thinking and feeling to show that connection there. Uh, like you were saying, the, the citizens, the daily people, the ones that are getting hurt, to separate them from whatever the rulers or, or armies may be doing, it's, it's the people who end up getting hurt in these situations. And I I really feel that if we don't make those connections, no matter how many statistics we can give out, no matter how much money it may cost to keep up nuclear weapons, no matter how much they say that we might need them, which that's a whole other uh, category, but they need to connect with the people. If they don't know these stories, if they don't connect with like all the, the lives that were shattered and all the people that lost loved ones, that lost their homes. And, and there was also like lifetimes of physical and emotional scarring that went on um, beyond just the, you know, a lot of times they will always say how many people had died from the atomic bombings within the first year of over 150,000 people. But they don't always talk about the thousands that survived and how their lives were then impacted. And I think by not doing those extra steps, it makes it not really easier, but in a sense of, of just saying, well, you know, that happened so many years ago. And, you know, it, it doesn't make that important link from person to person. And I was really hoping that in a way from doing all the research that I did, trying to find books that were written about daily life in Japan that weren't in Japanese was, was a challenge. But I found that a lot of libraries weeded out a lot of books on eBay, and I was able to find some that were translated from Japanese into English about life during war. And I took a lot from what my mom said for her childhood and for her experience. But I also read books about other atomic bomb survivors so that I would have a, a better feel for overall of what different ages, what some people might have gone through. And it was very eye-opening to me. I learned a lot from my mom, not just of what she went through, but the kind of strength she had to go through what she did. And to see a side of her, I didn't always see, you know, um, she didn't like getting emotional in, in public and she didn't cry very much or let us see her cry too much. But when she talked about what happened, it was like a, a switch went off and she was like seeing it all over again at the age of 12 and, and the way that she would cry and the way that she would talk. And it just, it's something that will never leave me. It, it, it will always be something that makes me emotional um, because she was so willing to share that with me and then allow me to share that with other readers so that they wouldn't go through, so that their family, so that no family would ever deal with that again. <sighs> I'm I'm sort of feeling like my typical word that I would use here. It doesn't it doesn't feel like the right choice, but I'm I'm at a loss for words right now. <laughs> so, I, do you have like a a highlight in terms of 
I guess I guess the word I'm looking for is a very specifically meaningful moment in the story to you. And if you do, would you share it with us? Absolutely. I love the part of my mom just being with her papa. They would spend nights after her bath upstairs on the veranda porch and they would sit there and they would talk. And that's when he would tell her stories. And being able to write a scene of that to show the love that they had for each other and how they would talk about various things happening with the war. And, you know, the first time my mother ever got an inkling that things weren't going well because the propaganda was saying that Japan was doing well. But when she heard from her papa, that wasn't it. And that's the moment when she realized that something could happen. But I also felt that the love, because my mother would always start her stories with sitting on the veranda with her papa, with the way that he would tell a story, with the way that he would hug her, with the way that she would feel his love, because he was the only one she let brush her hair, because it was very unruly and and uh, hard to do. And he was willing to take his time and be gentle with that. And and I I really feel that that kind of shows the love that they had together. And I, I also love the scene of my mom and Machiko when they're just her best friend, when they're just listening to jazz and they're just talking. It was so hard for my mom to make friends. And so to find someone in Machiko that she could feel that liked her just for her and they could just enjoy themselves over regular things such as music to, um, to spend time with. Um, I really enjoyed putting those pieces in there. Um, because I know my mother treasured those. Do you have a quote or an excerpt that you could read? Sure, I would love to do that. Okay. My nerves would not be subdued. It frightened me to think our country could be on the losing side of the war. Before I could stop myself, I asked, Papa, what would happen to us if Japan lost the war? I will keep my family safe at all costs. Know this, Joya, which was a term of endearment. You are my life, and I will give mine to save yours. Papa, do not talk that way. I don't want to be here if you are not. I felt tears building in my eyes and leaned my head to rest on Papa's shoulder, squeezing his hand. He squeezed back and said, That is how life is, Yuriko-chan. In our lives, we must experience both beginnings as well as endings. It is like the season changing after the last cherry blossom falls. It's beautiful. I, um, thank you. Thank you. I, I just picture my mom, you know, telling the stories and I try to imagine her, you know, being that age and, and, and talking to him in that way. And I could always tell when she would mention her papa, the way her, her face would change, you know, that her eyes would light up, um, it, except for after the bombing for that time period. But he had made such an imprint on her as far as trying to, um, honor her her culture even when it was difficult to do and being in japan after the war was very difficult if if you were from nagasaki or hiroshima and so she was able to have the strength to push through that as well and she she always said that it was because of her papa and what she learned from him so yeah well I read that the last cherry blossom is a United Nations Office of Disarmament Affairs resource for teachers and students. And since you mentioned that school visits and talking to students is something that does bring you joy, I have two questions. How does it make you feel that it's 
you know, on this list of resource for teachers and students. And then my second would be, do you have any tips for how your book could be used in the classroom setting? Oh, wonderful. Yes. Um, well, when I found out it was going to be put on that list, it was surreal. I, I honestly didn't expect that. And it was just such an honor because then after that, they invited me to speak at the United Nations to speak with teachers as well as in the bookstore about the book, about my mother's story to all the international press that was there. And I, I just, I so missed my mom at that point. I so hoped that she could see how much her story did matter and the voices that it brings to all of the other uh, Hibakusha and, and their families. It was um, an honor to be able to do that. And it's a moment I'll never, ever forget. But also, there are various ways that you could use The Last Cherry Blossom. There are some classes that use it as part of their language arts. And um, I've also had some classes combine it with their language arts class, as well as with social studies, to be able to learn more about World War II in Japan. I have a discussion guide that I can also give out to classes that they can use as well for the book. And um, they've used that a lot for even uh, for civic issues as well. If they want to start talking about not just nuclear disarmament or when you're standing up for a cause. And I like to talk about how it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be something very small. It can just be even mentioning something about nuclear disarmament to someone who doesn't know it, to signing petitions, or just to give them some ideas that their voice also matters, which I feel is so important that students understand that, and, and that they're able to have that opportunity to use their voice. And so between those three different areas, it's always been wonderful to be able to share my mother's story and to talk about the book or the book writing process as well. I love World Read Aloud Day that and I was able to meet with several schools. And it is really uh, a joy to see their interest in history, in these events and how they can relate to today. And sadly, they do still relate to today. There's still threats in, in headlines daily. So it means a lot to me that they would still be interested in that and welcoming me into that classroom. So um, for any of those ways of using the yeah. book. what Which sort of school grades do you find are the most receptive or most engaged in your visits? I have found grades, I've spoken through six through like 11th grade, and they're all wonderful. But it surprised me that the middle schoolers they're the ones that really take to the story. And I love going in if they've read the book ahead of time, because then they can ask specific questions of how they felt when they saw, uh, when they read in the chapter what was happening and how it mattered to how they felt it as if they could be going through it. And I find that to be the, you know, the sixth, seventh and eighth graders that, um, and it's also the time when they're usually learning that in school. But I really found in them is it's it's been a treasure to, to speak with them and to hear them when I first just started speaking with them before the book was out and how they'd come to me and they would sell, tell me to thank my mom, you know, for sharing that. And and that was just so sweet. And when she received a thank you card from one of the classes that I had sent to her, she was just so touched because she felt for so long that her voice wouldn't matter, you know, and, and to see it 
her story and in that way. She always said that I was honoring her papa, her family, but it was her mostly in the beginning that I really wanted to honor. And she never saw it that way. But um, I do feel middle grade does a great job with that. But then again, you know, all the grades, I've spoken all colleges as well. They've been wonderful. But the middle schoolers really seem to have a grasp on that. And they're just starting to really form that kind of empathy um, for that. So it's a great, great time to start planting those seeds in their hearts. Yeah. And I feel like it. they probably treasure you in terms of that you trust that they can handle this topic, right? That yeah. that you're trust trusting that they can take in this information and and process it. Uh, I just I remember a, a few books from my elementary, middle school grades, mm-hmm. and and I think the reason why they've stayed with me is because the authors trusted me that I could handle topics such as as grief and obviously the catastrophic effects of war. So I I think they probably really appreciate that you trust trust that they can uh, handle it. Oh. Thank you. I I really hope so, because it's uh, when writing the book, there was also going back and forth of how I would write the scenes of what my mother saw that day. And it was very important to me to be respectful of what she did see, to not sugarcoat it, not to make it gratuitous in any way for violence, but to show what actually happened. Um, And like you said, that was that was basically a trust of sharing that and them receiving it in, in kind and being able to to see it for what it was and how they could then take that and never want it to happen again and and to see how their views change as far as with history of of just saying it won the war there's so much more to it than that um and that's involved with that that doesn't get spoken well there's there's a lot of stories that aren't told uh in history classes these days that really need to be spoken um and i'm I'm honored that I'm able to try to get one type of story uh, continued on in schools uh, with those students. And I do appreciate that they do have that trust that I that, you know, we can discuss it together as well. And, and, and the fear or or whatever feelings that might come up because of reading something like that. I, I really like to be in tune with that, to know how they're feeling and to gauge that in in how I might make my talk and, and how we would discuss it together. So yeah. Will there be a sequel? Yes, there will. I have been working on a sequel. It'll take place about four years later. Um, she has then moved to Tokyo with her new family member, which you know who that is. <laughs> um, and you know, she dealt a lot with what they call PTSD now. Um, they didn't have a name for it then. They didn't talk about it then. They certainly didn't think of as the uh, people experiencing war having it. It was more looking, they didn't even recognize it for soldiers yet at that time. But she dealt with a lot of survivor guilt. She dealt with a lot of wondering, should I make friends again? Am I going to lose them? Can I make another friend? Can I make uh, a go with this new family? Uh, and, you know, she she really had a lot of anger issues and just trying to figure out, well, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do with this prejudice that's here for atomic bomb survivors, for uh, being afraid of us? You know, she'd tell people where she was originally born and they would step away from her physically thinking, you know, the radiation would just be pouring off of her. They didn't understand, you know, at, at, at that time you know, the, the feeling that made her feel that way. And that's in fact why she would always say she was from Tokyo. 
that's when it all started is because she just felt it was easier to just not even mention it. Um, and, and so I want to try to bring that out so that they can see how she went about deciding and, and where her strengths really started to go through when she realized how she wanted to push through what she wanted to do and who the people were that really helped her to see that. So it's been a long time because I had been researching quite a while to see it's the allied occupation as well. So I was trying to get a feel for all that information also. And uh, my health issues get in the way a lot more than I would like the past couple of years. I'm hoping that depending on how publishing comes out and everything, that within two years, it, it should be out there. I'm hoping maybe a little bit sooner. I'm excited because I always hear from a lot of students that they want to know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Afterwards, you know, um, and they love to hear what happened, you know, how she ended up having me, how I ended up, you know, she ended up in the U.S. and, and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm happy that there's still interest to want to know what happens next. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, what impact ultimately do you hope that The Last Cherry Blossom has on its readers? I hope that aside from the idea that nuclear weapons should never be used again for any reason, but I, I want them to also come away knowing after reading that, that, you know, the ones that we think don't belong or the ones that we think are so different from us or the ones that we may even consider our enemies, they're not really so different from us after all. We all have hearts. We all feel emotions. That is going to be timeless throughout time. It doesn't matter. We're going to have that and we're going to need that emotional connect. And I truly feel that like the students in my daughter's class, they weren't cruel. They just didn't know. You know, they didn't understand. They didn't have that connection. So I'm really hoping that aside from just being that historical piece, that they also can see that in other issues, um, you know, we're not that different. And it's so important to learn about other people's customs, cultures, feelings, thoughts, and that ours all matters as well. They can coexist, which is also what I hope is what I bring, not just from the book, but from my visits when I speak with students that, you know, my father was an American, he was in the service, um, but you know, I still was able to find a way to make both sides co can coexist in peace uh, as well. Yes. Kathleen, thank you so much for your vulnerability today. Oh, I think, yeah. Thank you for sharing your story, your mom's story with me and the listeners. The Last Cherry Blossom is a devastatingly beautiful read. To me, it's an essential read. And I'm so grateful that you wrote it. So thank you. Oh, thank you so very much. That's so very kind. I, I really appreciate the compassion that you have for my mother's story and as well as all the books that you recommend and, and the books that you write. So thank you. That means a lot. Kathleen, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order a copy of Kathleen Birkinshaw's The Last Cherry Blossom. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Chromecast, Spotify, or anywhere else you enjoy listening. Subscribe to the show to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. 
The Growing Readers Podcast is a production of the Children's Book Review. To discover more fantastic books, just like The Last Cherry Blossom, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com.